You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Doug Bruno is a guy that I've known since I was an undergrad, so I guess close to 30 years. I've known Doug Bruno. He's been at DePaul for a little over that. He's been there for 34 years as the head coach of the women's team. The women's team at DePaul is excellent. They've been to 17 straight NCAA tournaments. They're going to make it 18 this year. They've been to a bunch of Sweet 16s. And they continue to churn out WNBA players and successful coaches and all of that good stuff. I love seeing that program succeed, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the NCAA tournament. The crazy part is, is that I wanted to talk with Doug and kind of preview the Big East tournament, which is going to be held at Wintrust Arena this weekend. I'm going to go. I'm credentialed. I'm excited about going there. What happened is we ended up having a long-form discussion about the game of basketball. So here's what I decided to do. There's sometimes when you're in an interview that you just kind of let some stuff ride. So I'm let it ride. The first part of this interview is here, and it's going to live here, and it should live here, uh, on Loho Daily. But there's going to be another part of this that I'm going to put out on, on House of L next week. Because it was so good. So I hope you listen to it here and come come over to House of L for the other part of it where Doug and I really spent some time talking about the greatness of Chicago basketball. But in the meantime, this is Doug Bruno and I talking about how great his DePaul teams have been and how this year's team is ready, ready for the Big East tournament, especially after losing last week to Marquette to finish the regular season? Well, I, I think anything that happens when you coach, you have to turn it into a good thing. And losing is not something any coach or player really ever wants to see have happen. And at the same time, once you didn't do the job, you have to learn from it and move on. So I don't know if there's any real answers to that question, Lawrence, that you need to lose to be good in a tournament. Uh, you know, sometimes it's better to win. Sometimes it's better to lose. And I think we'll find out. This team this year, there, there are a lot of people talking about you guys being a, a sleeper once you get to the NCAA tournament. What's been the most refreshing thing about this season so far for you? Well, I think it, it always starts with senior leadership. And Shante Stonewall and Kelly Campbell are just two really – special seniors and um, they've, they've just really they're very competitive people they're good people and they're talented people so I mean it's just been I, I mean those are the, the those are the people we're really going to miss after this season they've just been really two special seniors so I think that starts with the seniors and then the fact that um you know we, we can we have the ability to score at five positions we just have to you know, I, I don't know that we were even close to having brought it all together yet. But the actual co- actual cohesion, it's not like we're a, a bad team from a chemistry perspective. We have a lot of good chemistry, but we got five people that can score the ball. And, you know, just bringing that all together 
I still thought it's a work in progress. It hasn't been done yet. It's it's so interesting because you have so many players that that go for twenty in right. a game that there there's a lot of different options that you can use. So so even at this point in the season, how do you get them to maximize the fact that there are a bunch of scorers on the floor? Well, you know, Lawrence, too, I just talked about that from a scoring perspective, and and now I'm going to even I mean I'm going to switch gears a little bit with you and and I really believe that good defensive teams you play better defense when you're playing solid constructive good offense and you play better you know offense when you're playing good defense you play better defense when you're playing good offense I, I think the two go hand in hand it's like when you're really derelict of duty on the defensive side of the ball and the rebounding side of the ball as we were in the Marquette game. You know, it's not that we lost to Marquette. It's that Marquette just, you know, threw us around from a rebounding perspective. You know, that's, that's you know, defense and rebounding is what travels well. It's how you win road games during the season. Defense and rebounding is how you win in the NCAA tournament. It's, it's you know, it's, it's one and out basketball from this point forward. And so, I think we got a value when, when you have people that score the ball easily, there's a tendency to think, well, all right, no, no worries. We're going to, and, and they have a coach that lets them shoot quickly. You got to mm-hmm. remember Lawrence, DePaul ball is predicated on quick shooting. And I believe in quick shooting. You can't score the ball. If you don't shoot the ball, but that means you're giving up the ball to the opponent more often than other, other programs or other styles of coaching. So you got to be better defensively and rebounding. So I, I think there's a, you know, yes, there's a cohesion we have to bring together offensively. I, I don't think that's been an issue. I think the people, are, you know, our players are, are really into the shoot it or share it concept. But then defensively, I think they got a value with a greater degree of urgency and understanding the defense and rebounding side of the ball. When did you start to develop the, this kind of quick shooting, I'm okay with the green light? Be beyond the arc offense. When when did you feel like it really took hold in Lincoln Park? Well, I I think we began doing that back in the Chicago Hustle days, Lawrence. I mean, you're not. I mean, we coached Chicago Hustle in 1979 and 80. It was a WBL. That whole that entire league is in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. It was a great effort to, to make women's basketball go. We didn't have the NBA behind us like the WNBA does, but it was a great effort. We played our games in Alumni Hall, three to 5,000. We averaged. We were, we were on WGN-TV, which was the ESPN of its day, because ESPN didn't exist yet. We were covered by Chicago Tribune and, and, and sometimes sports beat writers, Jealous and Lacey Banks, covered us. But back in those days, as soon as I was a young coach and I was confronted with a 24-second clock, you know, you, you, you think you're going to tempo the game with a 24-second clock? I mean, I, I thought that was kind of foolhardy to be wading into the clock, and then you're taking a worse shot at the end of the clock than you were at the beginning. If you're going to take a, 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 a bad shot at the end of the clock, why not take a good shot early? So that's really – and we didn't even have the three-point shot then, but we did lead, we led that league in 11 offensive categories back in 79 and 80. So, you know, that's kind of where it all kind of took hold. I was blessed. Uh, I would have nothing in basketball without Ray Meyer Lawrence. I mean, Ray gave me a chance to come to DePaul. He gave me a scholarship when, you know, I, I was just I'm so blessed to be here. And if it weren't for Ray Meyer, I wouldn't be here. And so I got to play under a great, great coach and a great teacher of the game. And he really 
taught me, along with my high school coach, who actually played Dick Flays, who played for Ray. So I learned the I learned the foundation fundamentals of the game from Coach Meyer and Coach Flays. Frank McGrath was his assistant. Frank McGrath, Ray's assistant. Frank McGrath was won 800 games in the Chicago Catholic League before he became Ray's assistant. So I had a great foundation teaching as a player. But then Gene Sullivan at Loyola of Chicago, who had also coached Austin Carr back at Notre Dame when Notre Dame was scoring a bunch of points and Austin was leading the nation in scoring. You know, I went from my own quick shooting philosophy out of the WNBA in the 24-second clock to working with Gene Sullivan, who was into quick shooting back with the Loyola Ramblers from 80 to 88 when we went to a Sweet 16 in 85 with Alfred Hughes and those guys. So, you know, that's kind of how it all is, is, is evolved through the years. Well, I think that was, it's, not, that was not a short answer once. No, it's, uh, I'm fine with you going as long as you want. I, I like that because, to me, it, it shows – that there was creativity even back in the 70s and 80s where people were looking to change the geometry of the floor. And now, even at the NBA level, we are seeing that play out more prevalently. I would imagine that that makes you pretty proud when you see teams like Golden State or teams like Houston that are using some of those basic philosophies to win basketball games. Well, it's really kind of funny because – you know, when you're when you choose to become a coach, you have to the first thing you have to choose to you have to develop a very thick skin because every single human being in the stands all knows how to do it better than you. You know, whether whether it's a it's a parent, a spouse, a child, you know, everybody you know knows that you should have done something different. So you you got to understand that that people are going to second guess every move you make from the moment you step onto the chair. So that's life and coaching. But then, you know, it, it's. I'm laughing because people, the number of people I've had through the years both laugh at how we play or, you know, some really good, serious coaches question why and how we play. You know, coaches that I get along with and I'm really good friends with and that I admire, but, you know, through the years they, they question how we would play. And now all of a sudden, you know, it, it, I, I'm just kind of laughing on the other side of my mouth here because, you know, you guys were all laughing. Now now, now it's now it's rogue, and, and so, you know, now it's all, all okay. But even still today, when we take some of the shots we take as quickly as we take them, there's still people that cringe. I mean, it's, 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 it's just one of those situations where, you know, you got to kind of have to understand what we're trying to do. And, and Lawrence, the thing about the three-point play is all coaches that talk about offensive philosophies – you can't talk to a coach about offensive philosophy without hearing them talk about spacing, spacing, spacing. There is no spacing without the threat of five players on the floor being able to make a three. The second you've got one player that cannot make the three or an outside shot, you're going to, as a defensive coach, it's almost your job to load up the paint or send a second defensive player to a really good offensive player on the other team. So spacing is created. The three-point shot, we use it to create spacing. At the same time, we preach here at the ball, paint touches, paint touches, and, and we don't even call them, I don't even call them paint touches anymore. I'm starting to call them arc touches. You know, get the ball deep into the paint, not just to the free-throw line paint, but, you know, paint touches, rim, you get the ball to the rim, you get the ball to the basket, three good things are going to happen. You can make a basket, you can get yourself fouled, you can 
you could draw a secondary defender to create something back on the outside. So you, you're, you're going to have more good things happening with paint touches than you are with just letting the threes fly. So it, it, it's no different than a football coach who's trying to, to you know, to develop the ground game to be able to open up the, the let it fly game or the coaches that spread the field and let it fly but still have to have a ground game. You have to have balance in your offense. So we still work very, very hard to get paid touches. So when it comes to you recruiting a player, how does that transition work? Because I would imagine that there are a bunch of high school programs that can't can't give you five players that can shoot from outside the arc and you're maybe taking the best player off of that team. How do you get a player who comes from a system that that isn't similar to yours, but you can see their skills fitting in your system to transition into what you want to do? Well, we really do analyze. First of all, when it comes to recruiting, there's a, this, I'm going to talk about something right now that, that I think is really been recruiting is the lifeblood of all programs. And we work very hard to get the best players in the country, the same players that Coach Oriam at UConn gets. Those players generally do say no to us, um, and, you know, when they have the opportunity to go to a, a UConn or a Stanford or, you know, one of those schools that has established themselves. As There's about four to eight teams that have established themselves as one of the elite and so we try to get those players. But when those players say no to you, then we have to have fine players that are going to be competitive. That's what we're trying to beat. You have to find players who are going to be competitive or, or that you could develop into what some of those other, some of the elite high school players are coming out of high school. You want to try to find players that you can develop into being equal or greater than by the time they're done with four years of development in college. So what we look for, though, everybody thinks athleticism, Lawrence, is running and jumping. And believe me, Coach Bruno here loves quick athletes, fast athletes, high-flying, jumping athletes. I really do believe in quickness and jumping ability and, and speed. There's no question that I believe in those areas of the game. We call that here at DePaul running, run and jump athleticism. Very important. But the ultimate athleticism in all great athletes transcending all sports is how quick are an athlete's eyes. We call it visual athleticism here at DePaul. And visual athleticism is how quick it goes from an athlete's eyes to their bodily movements. You know, your, body, your body's movements are triggered by your eyes. Your eyes tell your body where to move, where to go. So when a running back hits a hole, you know, they're not, they're not booging to the hole. Their eyes are telling them there's a bigger space to the left and a, and a smaller space to the right. That's all visual. Every single Major League Baseball player that earns their way into Major League Baseball cannot be a hitter without unbelievable visual athleticism. The ability to hit a baseball in that short amount of period of time, every one of those guys has visual athleticism. That's why you have fat hitters and big, tall hitters and skinny hitters and, and little hitters. You know, you got the Hack Wilsons of the world. you got the Babe Ruths of the world. I mean, you know, that's visual athleticism. So we really look to find athletes that are visually athletic, and then we also would love them to be visually athletic and run and jump athletic. But then we ask the question, can they make a three or can't they? And to your point and your question, some it's obvious that they're going to be 
great three-point shooters in college. But there's some. We just graduated a player named Marte Grays from Martin Luther King High School in Detroit, Michigan, state champion many times um, with Bill Winfield, the great coach over there. He's the Dorothy Gators of Detroit. And at any rate, she never took a shot outside two feet at Martin Luther King. But then you study, you know, you study her free throw, you study her form, you know, you know she's got visual athleticism, you know she's got run and jump athleticism, and then you start studying her shooting form, and you can see that, that sometimes a, a young player from high school who's never been made to shoot a three or allowed to shoot a three will be able to shoot. Back to my Loyola days, there was a great player we had with that L. Frederick Hughes team, a player by the name of Andre Battle from Simeon High School. His great coach was Bob Hambrick. Bob was a very good friend of mine. But Bob, this is pre-three-point shooting days. Bob didn't believe in anybody taking an outside shot. You know, you get this, like Al McGuire, you get to the rim, you get fouled, you know, maybe take some outside shots against the zone. So I had to watch Andre play maybe 60 games shooting. That's when you could watch him all year round. You, you know, watch Andre play 60 games and take one jump shot a game. Well, over 60 games, you could figure out that Andre was a really, really good shooter. So, the, the, you know, you kind of have to study it in the, in the process of recruiting. That was Doug Bruno, DePaul's women's coach. The Big East tournament will be at the Trust Arena this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. They are the favorite to win it. We'll see if they pull it off. Expect a very high seating for the DePaul women's team. And I'm glad I got to talk with their coach. The second part of this interview, where we talk about Chicago basketball and Porter Moser and Loyola going to the Final Four and Benji Wilson, I'm going to share that on on House of L. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you haven't checked out my House of L podcast, you can find it. Just search House of L. House of L podcast, and you'll see some of the people that I've talked to inside media in Chicago and beyond. And I think you'll enjoy the episode that that I put out when I put this out with Doug. So thanks for listening.